This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. This is the season. It's the Michigan Harvest Gathering season, and this statewide campaign kicks off the giving season. It's also a time when we are able to stop and count our blessings. It is the beginning of Thanksgiving. Several of my older friends revealed to me that they enjoy Thanksgiving with their families much more than the other holidays. It's about being together with no expectations, and they like it more just because of that. While the holidays always have the potential for eruptions with family in particularly, for the most part, it pulls us together, and with a few ground rules, it can be a time that bonds us. I like the Michigan Harvest Gathering for the same reason. The Michigan Harvest Gathering brings people together from everywhere to raise food and funds for our hungry neighbors across the state. A few weeks ago, we kicked off MHG inside of a greenhouse in Lansing with former Attorney General Bill Schutte, who, along with his wife Cynthia, founded the Michigan Harvest Gathering, and our own Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, who is standing in the gap for democracy at an entirely different level for our state. Then there was Brian Peters from the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, one of the most influential member organizations in our capital. Yet there he stood with a huge check, both in number and size. Kids, seniors, working families, all dealing with life upsets or even our veteran population, not one of us wants these folks to struggle with food. Solving hunger is a challenge that unites us. It can, and for the most part, it does. But like family, we might fuss a bit about how it's going to get done, but if we will all stay in the room and talk, we will see the food insecure population dwindle. Yes, our friends and some of our family members that struggle with more month than money who will need a little bit of help for a little bit of while, will lessen. As you heard us say before, 47% of the people who come to us for food have someone in their household who is employed. 24% are children, 19% are senior citizens, and 6% are homeless. That's who's hungry in Michigan. And while that description may not be 100% accurate all the time, it's way more right than it is wrong. And it doesn't try to make policy fit preconceived ideas about who's hungry from an ideological starting point. The data speaks for itself. The two guests we have today can speak for themselves and others as well. Stephanie Johnson is the managing partner at Quarry Johnson & Levitt, a multi-client lobbying firm in Lansing, And Representative Angela Whitwer from the 71st are our guest, and you can bet that they have some great perspective on the budget, their passion for food security, and much, much more. Join Jerry, me, Stephanie Johnson, and Representative Angela Whitwer here on the show today in just a moment or two.
Welcome back, everyone. As promised, Jerry, Representative Angela Whitwer is back with us here on Food First Michigan. And uh, Representative, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's great to have you. And uh, we were just at an event this morning together where uh, it's a bit of conversation about uh, the state budget. And uh, you guys have been through the wars up there and the rest of us have as well. But, you know, uh, Representative, do you sense that there is a bit of maybe bipartisan flavor that's coming back around as we try to finish the budget? I, um, when I was sitting there with you this morning, I was listening to the speakers also, and uh, the speaker talked a lot about bipartisan work together, which we, 90% of what we've done has been bipartisan. Um, things sail through ways and means. Uh, we seem to be, we, I think we've had one vote that's been down party lines they were talking about this morning. But when it comes to the budget, um, I believe this is the first time in history that we haven't really worked with the governor to negotiate out negotiate out a good plan. Mm-hmm. So um, we're looking forward to them sitting back down, the, the leaders to sit back down with our leader of our state, the governor, and work something out. Um, we can't say it's done when there's supplemental bills that are in the process right now, and I and um, I really have a lot of respect for both the speaker and the Senate Majority Leader, and I, I I think that we'll all be able to sit down and get this done and sooner than later because there are quite a few programs that need attention um, that hurt all of our communities, and we we really need to look at that and um, fix it. Right. Right. Well, because that's the the main part of the job, right? I mean, one part of the job is getting in a room and talking, and the next part is getting it done. <laughs> so it's all well, important, it's, it's right? True. You can't just do one part. You got to do all of it. And so we appreciate you and your hand in this uh, a great deal. I, and you know, we we obviously know you well, but um, but we also know your heart well, and we know you're going to stand for the people that we serve in a big way. And we're always tremendously grateful for that. I appreciate it. It's um, the reason I think that the people voted me in was that I. I'm not a political beast. I am here for the people and whatever is the best for them, I'm voting for. So I've, I've voted on both sides of the, of the ticket already, and I, I plan on doing what's best for the people of Michigan and what's best for the people in need in Michigan, um, both seniors, people that are hungry, everything. I, I, that's what we need to focus on is making life the best it can be for the people of Michigan. And we know right now you're actually sponsoring a bill specifically related to people who are hungry and people who might be homeless. And so one of the things we're really interested in hearing about is that bill and the impact that you think it could make for Michigan residents. Yes, I'm I'm excited. Uh, I've had an initial meeting with the chair of... Um, tax right now, which is Representative Affendulis, and I'm introducing House Bill 4992, which is tax credits for charitable donations to food banks and homeless shelters. And then in that package is also House Bill 4993 with Representative Berman. So it's a bipartisan package, and his are tax credits for charitable donations to community foundations. So both have been referred to tax policy. Um, Representative Affendulis is... um, 
actually met with us and asked direct questions, and I believe we'll be meeting with the Food Bank Council on my side of the bill. But the credits equal about, uh, 50% of the sum of the total donations. Um, and so each credit's limited to about $100 for an individual or $200 for a joint return um, for the resident or state or a state trust. So this is about 10% of the tax liability before credits or $5,000, whichever is less. And it sound, the Senate fiscal estimates that the bills together would cost the general fund only about $22 million. It sounds like a lot, but on a $60 billion state budget, it's not. And it actually helps. Uh, it puts one more tool in our tool chest um, that we talk about all the time about solving hunger. And it will, it will make people more motivated to give to our food banks and pantries and homeless shelters so that we... Um, you know, that we can we can make this problem go away. I think it's probably worth saying at this point that $100 from an individual would, through the food bank network, get at least 300 meals, at least 300. At least. Um, and it, it, with different other ways that we leverage, you know, the, the things that we do, it could be double that, mm-hmm. you know. And so it really does put... Uh, a lot more money in the hands of food banks in our community than just that $100 for an individual or $200 for a married couple, which, again, that's 600 meals at least through the food bank network. And so there's a lot of leveraging power that that gives and and which fuels a lot of benefit to the community at not only a cheap cost, but at a cost that you could not get any other way. I agree. And this is a, 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 I did introduce, as we talked before, um, HB 4388 back in March, which was basically both of these bills, and we split it in half and we're taking a run at it again. It did pass um, through lame duck, but it never made it through to get signed. So we're hoping to bring this back. As you said, um, it's something that we feel good about giving cans to our food bank council and doing a food drive, but but we know that the money spent on those cans can be put much further if we just give the cash to the food bank council. So this is a this is a really good bill. It's a great bill, <laughs> and that bill yeah. number is four nine nine two, and uh, the sponsor is our guest, Representative Angela Whitworth from the seventy first district here in Michigan. She's our guest. That's Jerry Brisson sitting on the other side of me. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. And we're back here on Food First Michigan in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. As promised, Stephanie Johnson, the managing partner for Corey Johnson and Levitt, a multi-client firm in Lansing, Michigan, who also represents the Food Bank Council. Jerry, you know Stephanie well. Say hello. Hi, Stephanie. It's always great to have you with us. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, Steph, we just had uh, Representative Angela Whitwer on, and we wanted to get your perspective on a couple of things. And she's sponsoring House Bill 4992 that would essentially restore some tax credits that were taken away under the previous administration back to the food banks. 
And uh, Jerry has some statistics about why that's important and how impactful it is on our network. Well, and statistics, I mean, it's really information about people. There's still 400,000 food insecure children in our state. And so when this tax credit was taken away, obviously that was a, a pretty big risk to food banks in the state. And in fact, we have seen some plateauing in donations as a result of not having that incentive for people to consider giving to food banks. And so why is that incentive important to us? Because every dollar is worth three meals at least to a hungry neighbor in Michigan. And with 400,000 food insecure children that still need help, that takes away a lot of incentive and potential for us to really reach all the people that need to be reached with help. So obviously this is critical to us. We know we leverage dollars really well, and we were really baffled at, of all the things that you could cut, why would you cut something like that that makes such a difference and leverages every dollar so well? So now here it comes back again. We're excited to see it come back, and we'd like your thoughts about, well, how did this happen anyway and you know moving forward how do we make sure that we can see this actually come to fruition well i think that um those are those are very good questions and and it really comes down to ideological thinking so to speak when governor snyder took first took office there was a complete uh change in how in the in michigan's tax structure particularly on the business side uh, when he took office, we still had a uh, what we called the single business tax SBT. Some people coined it the small business tax, which was a bit of a misnomer. And a lot of business, uh, a lot of folks in the business community were really um, disliked the tax. They believed it was too high. They believed it, the structure was very onerous. Um, and those were some of the first things that uh, Governor Snyder uh, tackled when he first came into office. With that whole restructuring of Michigan's business tax structure, as well as um, some other restructuring, for instance, we got that what they call the pension tax uh, put in place during that same time. He also went about looking at many of the other tax credits we had on the books, foundations and food banks. Um, there were a few other organizations that would have a special tax credit that would hopefully encourage contributions. He, I think, believed fundamentally that those tax credits were not to a level that really necessarily made a difference one way or another. It cost the state money, but at the same time, he, in his opinion, didn't necessarily uh, add or increase giving. And um, because of all the other restructuring and the goal of trying to simplify you know, the tax base in general and having everything stabilized, he he philosophically didn't agree with those, and so those went away with the whole restructuring process. Um, at the time, I know there was uh, a fair amount of opposition involved from the nonprofit community on this uh, policy change, but that was the direction that the legislature and the governor at that time wanted to take. So you think that if that essentially what we need to be able to do is is make a case that in fact it does increase giving and it does in fact get more food into households that that 
that would win it? I mean, essentially, if the reason it was taken away is because, well, it's not really increasing giving or it doesn't really matter that much anyway. I mean, is yeah. that is that it? I, I, I think that's a huge part of it. I think at the time, uh, many who benefited from the policy didn't have good ad data and didn't have good uh, information mm-hmm. to necessarily counter the arguments. I can't. I don't have the exact number of how long those credits were in place prior to the restructuring, but I do believe they'd been on the books for quite some time. So I'm not sure. Um, it it was very difficult to equate these tax credits to giving. Now that we've had a fair number of years without those credits, we can go back and we can say, well, actually, they did uh, promote contributions and they did promote charitable giving, and we need to reevaluate this. And I think that's what the legislature is starting to do right now. So what we're looking at here, because I do have the data, <laughs> is, yeah. uh, is, um, is l- this is really about an entry-level donors, right, 100 to $200. And we're down across the network about 13%. Um, so that's a significant part of, and, and again, I, I want to emphasize that something you said just a minute ago, Jerry, is we're not talking about state of Michigan dollars here. We're talking about private charitable dollars. Exactly right. You know, so uh, uh, Representative Whitworth said that uh, they've scored the bill and it would cost about $22 million uh, for both bills. That's the one for um, community foundations, the one that's for us, which is the food bank network, and then included with us is the homeless shelters. Both those bills combined scored would cost the state general fund about $22 million. But just looking at the number of meals that we're able to generate with a dollar, and you're being very conservative when you say three, Right. That's the least, right? It That's could be least. as many as $6 six or six mi- meals for six every meal. dollar. And so, you know, and again, I'd, I'd rather be conservative because conservative is still outstanding. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> right. it's like, why, why, you know, why say anything but the, the lowest number when the lowest number is so high? And, 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 um, and we know that it, it gets people who otherwise wouldn't be giving to our network to give. Right. And, and it, and it provides promotes all kinds of different giving across different campaigns that that happen every year. And so, um, you know, and I'm talking about things like the Combined Federal Campaign and the United Way Campaign. And when people know when they give to... Michigan Harvest Gathering. Exactly right. When they give to these campaigns to specifically help uh, food banks, that getting that tax credit encourages them to give a little bit more. And when we have, you know, some federal tax law changes that have made it a little more challenging for people to give at a certain level and get the same tax benefit federally for that, these are the kind of things that can get people rethinking, okay, uh, you know, I need to make a priority to feed hungry kids. And you know what? We're, we're food first for a reason. Right, we're food first for a reason, and there's and we've had I don't know how many guests now over 200 guests on our show from all kinds of places throughout our economy who have agreed with us to things as simple as if you want kids to really be able to read at third grade level by third grade, you better make sure they're nourished. Well, you know, there's more than one research study that proves that without a doubt. 
So again, to, to disincentivize people from really helping solve not just food insecurity, but all kinds of other social problems, I, I mean, again, to me, now, of course it's going to be obvious to me, but it's obvious to every listener on this show <laughs> who's paid any attention for the last almost three years. All right. Great rant. Love, <laughs> love it. Sign me up. How about you, Stephanie? Are you are you on that bandwagon with him? Hey, I'm a believer. <laughs> There's no There's doubt no about, question it. about it. <laughs> hey, she's Stephanie Johnson. She's the managing partner for Corey Johnson and Levitt and Lansing. She's our guest today. She's going to come back and be with us for one more segment. You come back and be with us, too. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back here with Stephanie Johnson, the managing partner for Corey Johnson and Levitt and Lansing, the uh, firm that represents the Food Bank Council and our network of seven regional food banks across the state. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. Steph, uh, let's talk a little bit about the budget. Um, hot topic around. I, I know that the leadership, I was in a meeting today sponsored by Dome Magazine, um, and the, the quadrant leaders of the legislature were there. And, um, you know, and a couple of them had said, you know, hey, the budget's signed, the budget's done. And then I, I, I listened and I discovered that there were about 26 um, bills that are associated with the budget uh, as a supplemental. So it doesn't look like the budget's quite done. <laughs> well, you know, some would argue the budget's never really done. Um, the the state, their start of the state budget fiscal year is October 1 of every year. And the legislature is charged and the governor is charged with having a budget completed, a balanced budget. They're constitutionally required to have a balanced budget completed and done by um, October 1. Otherwise, things shut down. Uh under the the former governor, the legislature and and Governor Snyder were um, committed and made it a priority to have budgets done before they went on summer recess. But it was a different it was a different time then, frankly, because you had a, a legislature that was re- Republican control and you had a governor who was a Republican, and so their their philosophical leanings, their ideology, were fairly well lined up. So it made that process easier. Now we're, we are in a situation where we have a Republican-controlled legislature, both in the Senate and the House, and we have a Democratic governor. And their ideology and some of their priorities don't necessarily uh, align perfectly, although they're not as far apart, I think, as, as some people might might think that they are. But nonetheless, they have different priorities in place. Um, so the legislature took took their time and and did did their part as far as uh, creating a budget and in response to the executive budget recommendation. They did not complete a budget until late September prior to the October 1 deadline. Uh, when they returned from the summer recess in early September, uh, the, the governor and the legislature began discussions and negotiations, and unfortunately, there was uh, a bit of an impasse. And so the legislature proceeded uh, without the governor's input and and moved forward and passed a budget, a balanced budget, and sent it to the governor. 
Um, the governor, if you remember early on when she released her executive budget recommendation, one of her priorities in as she ran and campaigned was to fix the roads. And that was that was her priority. And one of her recommendations is to begin that process and to create uh, some funding for infrastructure, because we do have about a $2 billion um, need in, in, to get Michigan's infrastructure up and, and back to the condition it needs to be in. Uh, she proposed a 45-cent gas tax. Right. Well, clearly that that did not uh, fall. That, there were a lot of people who, you know, there's no way in <laughs> – in God's green earth, am I going to pass forty-five <laughs> So that that was part of the sticking point here. You fast forward, uh, the governor, uh, because the budget didn't land on her desk with any new revenue on transportation or infrastructure, she proceeded to veto line. She has the power to line item veto, and she line item vetoed about one hundred and forty-seven programs. Um, in addition to that, she has some power under what we call the administrative board process, where she, with she's within a department, can roll up line items and move money within a department, which allowed her to eliminate some significant other programs within uh, the the various state departments. So a lot of there's a lot of unhappy folks right now uh, who you know are wedded to specific programs that receive some sort of state funding that are, you know, dependent on many of these programs, and they no longer have funding for these programs. And so that's created a real problem. There's a real um, push from uh, from interest groups and organizations to get these bills or get this money restored. The legislature, on the other hand, don't feel too pressured at the moment. They um, they believe they send a budget to the governor's desk. The governor did what she had to do, and they're they're moving on. And that's sort of their standard line at the moment. But in the in the meantime, they did drop uh, uh, about twenty, I forget how many bills, supplemental supplemental bills to begin the process of restoring funding for these programs. They're sitting there. Uh, they're not moving them as of now, but they're ready to move once I think the governor and the legislature can come to a better consensus and agreement. Got it. And is your opinion at this point that they're they're working on that and they're they're going to do that? Yeah, it is. It's not going to happen anytime soon, I don't believe. But I I do believe that they are talking. Um, The talks are, they've got a lot more talking to do from what I hear. Uh, Obviously, these meetings are private. They don't, uh, they try to be very good about not uh, divulging what gets said and what gets stated. Um, I do believe that in time, much of this will be worked out. But it's going to take some time, for sure. And you know what? That's the political process. I mean, I'm encouraged by some of this. You know, I I think it is a big change when you don't have one uh, party controlling all branches of government. That's a big change. It takes some getting used to. I don't think any of us should be too surprised by that. But on the other hand, we do have a budget. 
the state is operating. There was no there was no uh, shutdown or emergency provision to avoid it. Um, the things that had to be done were done, and now you know the the conversation that has to be done to make good is happening. And I think that's all actually quite good news on on some level. Yes. Not, could be better. But I mean, you know, we appreciate the update in a, in a in a big way because you know it's important to stay on top of this stuff. We do, like a lot of people, depend on support from a lot of different ways to keep feeding our hungry neighbors. And these state budget issues are important to us, and I know they're important to our listeners as well. Yes. Well, I feel like the administration and the legislature are shaking hands in the dark in this first budget go round. You know, it takes a minute to find each other and figure out, you know, how to, how to connect. And, and, um, and I think that in the years subsequent of this, it's going to be a better process. They're going to learn to work better yeah. together. And I remain hopeful. Uh, and I completely agree. And, and the overall, I think that the fact that they continue to meet and that they, they do this on a regular basis, I, I, I believe at a minimum once a week, they're the quadrant, as we call it, our meeting. Mm-hmm. And that's, such a huge improvement from the previous year, uh, where the quadrant never met uh, the governor and and some of the leadership, um, both the House and Senate leaders as well as the governor, were kind of at odds, even though they were all from the same political party. <laughs> um, that's not the case here. They they are acting like adults. They have very different opinions. They have some different philosophies, and they have different policy goals. So figuring that out and where they can be in the middle is the process. But they are being adults, and they are working together, and they are continuing to talk. Well, you think about over the past 30 years, um, no-fault insurance has, uh, depending on where you're at on this issue, has either plagued the state or it's been something else. But this is a, a, a split administration, the executive branch being Democrat, the legislature being Republican, and they came together to address that. Now, you might not like the answer to that, or you may love the answer to that. But the fact is, they came together with something that hasn't happened in 30 years in this state. And I, I think if we can create that kind of working relationships, that it'll, it'll end up serving the state very, very well. Yeah. I'll tell you another thing that, you know, probably this is dangerous to end on, but uh, I see conversation about term limits. And I'll tell you what, I think talking about term limits and their impact is a really good conversation to have. I would I would agree with that. Term limits have clearly changed, you know, having worked in this environment, um, just as term limits were starting to become uh, law, I worked with, uh, my first part of my career, I worked with a number of people who were able to um, finish out, and, and they were um, they were the first class affected by term limits. And then you fast forward to now, it's it's been a real significant change in the culture and the climate in the legislature. It's it used to be um, there was a little bit more camaraderie, a little bit more across the aisle work uh, because you knew you had to do it that way in order to get anything done. Right. Um, and we, unfortunately, we've lost some of that. Now, I, I want to say this class has been, this freshman class has been better than previous, but it is something that has significantly impacted how uh, the legislature uh, advances policy and moves issues. 47 out of 110 are first-time 
yeah. legislators in the House. So, you know, I have trouble remembering where the bathrooms are at, so it takes a while to learn how things work around there. <laughs> so, Stephanie Johnson, the managing partner for Quarry Johnson & Levitt, our lobbyist for the Food Bank Council, our friend as well. Stephanie, thanks for joining us here on Food First Michigan. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You bet. Jerry and I will be back in just a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. That was Representative Angela Whitwer and Stephanie Johnson on our show today. And, uh, you know, policy insiders, so to speak. You know, I, 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 I have this saying, and, and I might have stolen it from you, doctor. You can tell me if I did. And that it's simply this. The less you know about a problem, the easier it is to solve. Right? And that's counterintuitive for a reason. You know, solving complex problems takes a lot of different perspectives. You have to listen. You've got to be patient. Some things you can force through, but so many things, it's wiser to listen carefully to what it is people want and need and then go from a place of hand-holding rather than head-bashing. And, you know, I, I think that, that the you know, when we, we talked about two really important legislative issues, or even state issues, if you don't want to make it just legislative, the bill that's coming up that's a tax credit, specifically the one that's for food banks and homeless shelters, that's, critically important. That's bill number 4992, and I think this would be an excellent time for us to ask our listeners to contact their legislator, House legislator in the um, in the Michigan House of Representatives, or their Michigan senator, and say there's a bill number four nine nine two that supports tax credits for food banks. Now we're not talking about like you know five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollar gifts here. We're really talking about one hundred and two hundred dollar gifts here, and I, I that's entry level gifts for us for particularly young donors, Jerry. And we're down with young donors coming to us, and I think some of it is a result of this tax credit that was taken away. Exactly right. And there are still 400,000 food insecure children in our state. And so when you take tools away to reach those kids, you are not only losing money now, you're losing money forever. And the reverse is true. And that's the hope. If you restore this now, you're you're paying it forward in a big, big way. We have got to support our kids for sure, among the other people that food banks help. So... So there's another side to this, and it's the federal side. And our national organization, Feeding America, has done some work on the changes that came about in the last um, how we compute our taxes, uh, affectionately known as the Trump tax cut, right? And so there's there's some information about that, and we're going to do a show about that. I want to tease that up a little bit. In the, in the near future, as we enter into the giving season here, right, and uh, what's the effect has been on contributions, uh, particularly to food banks, across the nation because of the changes in the tax code? Right. And just here in southeast Michigan, I can tell you we had a $300,000 fall off at the end of the year because people weren't sure how their taxes were going to be affected. Now, we hope to get some of that back. But that was a significant, significant uh, impact on us last year. Um, now, again, we're not speaking about all of the economics involved with, you know, federal tax policy. There's a lot to consider, and I'm not trying 
trying to, you know, up or down any of that. But what I am saying is what we know, and that is it had a pretty big impact on our year-end giving. I know it affected other food banks, and I know that's why Feeding America wants to talk about it. Well, it's about the itemization. Right. How are you able to itemize, or, or is it just a straight form? And that's the difference. Yeah. And that's where we think was a motivational factor. You know, you and I have talked off radio about why do people give to food banks. And we understand that many people give to food banks not because it's a charitable contribution and they get credit on their tax. That's not the first reason, right? Right. It's not the first. But it is a compelling motivation, and we've seemed to have lost that. And it's not that it will keep people from giving, but it absolutely affects how much. Right. And so if you get $100 back, you'll give $100 more. I mean, it's really just logic, right? Yeah, it makes sense to me. Well, Jerry, time for a little food for thought here. I said in the monologue that the Michigan Harvest Gathering kicks off the giving season, and there comes a halting question about why people give to our work. We, Jerry and I just talked about it for a moment, and we're going to do it extensively in another show. But while the federal tax changes have done away with itemized giving for a lot of people, people still give. And one of the reasons they give to us, to food banks, is because they are concerned about their community. It is that fundamental motivation that inspires me in this work. People care about their neighbors. They do. We do. And you do. I was in a church once, and it was time for the offering to be taken. The guy talking to us about giving told everyone to stretch out their right hand. He coaxed some hesitant folks like me until finally we all got our right hand stretched out, and he said right then... As your hand is stretched out, reach out and take the billfold or wallet out of the person's pocket or purse in front of you, open that wallet, and give a gift like you've always wanted to give. (laughs) Well, that didn't happen, but I can tell you that I am at my happiest, my most content, and I am the best version of myself when I give. Thank you for giving your time to Jerry and me every week. And thanks for all the giving of your time, talent, and treasure. Godspeed to everyone, and until next week, remember, it's Food First, folks. Food First. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.